Father, this morning we come to you. And I speak your peace into every heart. Whatever may be troubling them, whatever may be anxiety, worry, fear may be there, I speak peace. When you rose again and you met your disciples the first time, you said, peace, fear not. I pray, Father, that you would guard our hearts even now, that we might hear your voice. Help us to be still before you, that we might hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit speak to each one of us. Those who are troubled, those who think they face this high mountain, a brick wall, the answer is you. The answer can come only from you. And I pray, Father, today you would speak to somebody. Speak to somebody where the block lies. For the Son of Man came to set the captives free. The Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. And even today, through the ministry of the word, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray there will be deliverance in thy house. Set us free, Lord, to worship you, to serve you, Lord. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Looking at Babylon, the sorcery of Babylon, our people are taken captive by Babylon, spiritual warfare, because we're going through this 40-day season of fasting and prayer as we enter into our 10th year next month. We also saw from Ephesians chapter 6, and today once again, I want to go back to that words from where we had looked the previous weeks. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Scripture talks about standing, not falling, not failing, not being overcome by the world or the enemy, but standing. And scripture will say, after having done all, we still be standing. How do we stand? What do we stand in? Okay, it's very easy, physically, stand means to stand. You are sitting, I am standing. But spiritually, what does it mean? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, stand fast. Stand in what? Stand in what? Physically, it's very easy. I'm standing and if I fall, you know, I've fallen to the ground. Spiritually, what does it mean? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So there it talks what standing means, what falling means. When we stand, we stand in the liberty which God made us free in. Stand in liberty. And when we fall spiritually, we get entangled and we become slaves again to sin, to Satan and to the world. So what does it mean to stand? What does it mean to fall? But again, coming here, there is always a debate. 
whether freedom and liberty are they the same like when we don't major in english they sound the same they mean the same but theologians say and actually even one of the dictionaries say they are not the same if they are not the same then what is we are what is that we are pursuing are we pursuing freedom or are we pursuing liberty what is that you and i long for do we long for freedom or do we long for liberty that's why jesus always asks people what do you want people wanted freedom the son of man came to set at liberty those who were bruised liberty and freedom are not always the same freedom in the widest term suggests complete absence of restraint there is no restraints at all i want the freedom to do whatever i want to do that's what freedom means to this world that's what freedom means the loss of the world the loss which god had enshrined in this world are being changed the loss of god gives us liberty but the laws are being changed so that we have freedom to do what we want to do so it's not the same always liberty however is a measure of freedom within the restraint granted by or as though by a sovereign power i'm reading the definition in one of the dictionaries freedom in the widest term suggests a complete absence of restraint liberty however is a measure of freedom within restraint granted by or as though by a sovereign power did you get the difference i'll explain when god talks about marriage god says marriage shall be between one man and one woman that is liberty within restraints and within the restraint god says keep the marriage bed honorable meaning sex is permitted in marriage marriage is between one man and one woman and within that boundaries god has set god says sex is honorable the world doesn't want that the world says we don't like those restraints we want freedom so now marriage is between anybody anybody it needn't be a man and a woman it needn't be just a man and a man or a woman and a man laws are changing from uh, the definition of marriage itself is being changed to certain many countries more and more petitions are coming from uh, homosexual marriages to polygamy to polymorphous marriages it's a very strange concepts which were never there before all because this is in the pursuit of freedom not in the pursuit of liberty understand the difference so all that we can do with freedom we cannot do with liberty that is the core of all our struggles the core at the center of our struggles is this 
God offers liberty. We wants we want freedom. I given this example which Derek Friends gives, and I've mentioned in many messages in the past. One of the African nations getting free uh, that week, many many years back. So one of the journalists who was there to witness the freedom that was coming asked a young man, what does freedom mean to you? Tomorrow your nation is becoming free. What does freedom mean to you? The young man said, tomorrow onwards I can drive my cycle wherever I want. Now did you see his concept about what freedom means? For many, freedom is equal to lawlessness. Understand that. Lawlessness. God is offering us liberty. And often the core of our struggles is connected with that. This is what Israel struggled with. This is what the church struggles with. And Satan through the world system offers freedom. Which ultimately will make everyone a slave of unrighteousness. Jesus on the other hand offers Liberty, which ultimately will make everyone a slave of righteousness. Either way, you are a slave. Either way, you are a slave. Either you will end up becoming a slave of unrighteousness, or you will become a slave of righteousness. So, the core of our struggle deep inside, we will see, is the struggle for freedom or struggle for battle for liberty. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3, we know this verse portion very well. And you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled, he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why he led them there. The devil offers a life with bread alone. And no word of God. You can live by bread alone and you don't have to come under the word of God. God on the other hand says, I will give you bread and I will give you my word. If you keep my word, you will never have to worry about bread. It will follow you. See, this struggle. This is what all of us go through daily. The offer from the devil and the offer from God. To Jesus, he offers that freedom without any restraint. In Luke 24 and verse 5 to 7, then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you'll worship before me, all will be yours. Now, don't ever think the devil will come and offer us this. That he doesn't. He looks upon people. Okay. Well, we will say, wow, if the devil came and took me up to the mountain and showed me all the glory of this world. No, no, no. Either you are all chota mata people. I will offer you. I know your flesh. You don't need to be offered this. Esau wants pot full of stew is enough. Samson wants Philistine blood, blinks her eyes, he's gone. So he knows each one. 
Jesus is a different case altogether. Jesus won't be tempted or cannot be strapped by anything. So he offers him everything. And still it makes no difference. He's offering him freedom without restraint. All that man longs for. Everything that flesh longs for. Name, power, glory, everything. I'll give it to you. That's what everybody wants, right? Riches. You name it, I can give it to you in this world. If you will only worship me. God offered something greater to Jesus and through Jesus to all of us. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. This was what the father offered Jesus. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth and those under the earth. The father also offered him power, authority, glory and honor. But he said, the way is through the cross with restraint. One fellow offers liberty without any restraint and I will give all this to you. Father God offers his son something greater than what the devil can offer. But he says, the only way is through the cross. The pathway was difficult. It was through the cross. Because the cross brings restraint in our lives. But the cross also brings true liberty. Therefore Galatians 5.1 makes an exhortation. Stand therefore in the liberty which Christ has made us, by which Christ has made us free. Do not be fooled by the devil. Do not be fooled by this world and get entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Getting the picture? In John chapter 11, that's the chapter dealing with Lazarus, we will see one of Jesus' great miracles. But remember, in the gospel according to John, every miracle is called a sign. A miracle is a sign, signifying to something bigger. So what is the sign here? There is a sign. The whole story the actual event of Lazarus falling sick, dying, buried, and his resurrection is a sign. Lazarus has been dead four days. How many days? Four days. And in that whole passage, Jesus makes two very important statements. Very important statements in that whole passage. One is John 11 and verse 25. Jesus said to her, yeah, let's go back to 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He makes a statement. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will live. Second statement he makes to Martha is, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Lazarus is, was a symbol of all flesh. Men, women, who were dead in their sin, in their trespasses. It's a symbol of all flesh that is dead before God. How many days was he in the grave? Four days. For 4,000 years of creation, man was dead in his sin and in his trespasses. 
And then salvation came. Jesus came. At the end of the fourth day, at the end of the 4,000 years, Jesus appears. And he will bring resurrection to this man, to this body of sin. But salvation that came when Jesus appeared is very specific. It's not general, it's very specific. In verse 43 of John 11, verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Very specific. He didn't say come forth. It would have been mayhem if he had said come forth in a graveyard. Everybody would have come forth. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. So salvation is very specific. Jesus died on the cross and anyone who puts in their trust in them is saved. But it is very specific. Each one has to personally believe. And into each one's spirit, God will speak comfort. The man who is dead in his sin and his trespasses is born again by the spirit of God. So that was a sign. Lazarus comfort. Lazarus was raised from the dead by the power of God. So that was the sign. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5, scripture says, and you he made alive who were dead. You, man. In trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. That's what we were. Dead in our flesh. Putrefying in our flesh. Stinking in our flesh. Which they understood only in the physical. But what was true in the spiritual. Every man stank in God's nostril. Even the righteous one. God says your righteousness is like filthy rags. 4,000 years. Dead. Then God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together Christ. By grace you have been saved. That was the sign that took place. When Lazarus came out of the grave, it was a symbol of men and women and children when they receive the gospel, will be born again by the Spirit of God. But that's only the beginning of salvation. Salvation has a beginning, it has a course, it has an end. That's only the beginning. When Lazarus comes out, there is something else Jesus says in John 11 and verse 44. And he who had died came out. But how did he come out? Bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. This is the ministry that happens within the church. What happens outside the church or sometimes inside the church when people hear the gospel, like for me personally, outside the church, heard the gospel, got saved, and after that the ministry within the body of Christ or wherever believers came together through the teaching of the word of God was the loosening of these grave clothes to which this dead body was bound. Lazarus was alive. But he was constrained. He could see 
but through a veil. He could hear, but not clearly. He had legs, but he couldn't move properly. He had hands, but the hands could hardly move. Why? Because he was bound by grave clothes. The grip of death was broken, but he was still bound. Therefore, there is this command from Christ and command from heaven, loose him, which also tells all of us, be loosed. Loose them. This is the command of the Lord, the loosening of people who have received new life. This is not connected with people in the world. This is connected with the people within the church. But the question is, do we want to be free? Do you long for freedom? Do you long for liberty? Israel longed for freedom. They did not want liberty that God was offering them. In Exodus 2 and verse 23, you will see their cry. Now it happened in the process of that time, the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. What do you want? Workplace was very bad. Work atmosphere was very bad. Lord, give me a new job. You want freedom? Or you want liberty? But remember when they were led to freedom into the wilderness. They had liberty. But they didn't like the liberty. They wanted freedom. Numbers 11 verses 4 to 6. And the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. They had liberty, but they didn't like it. They wanted freedom. That's the truth about Christians too. They hate the slavery of Egypt, but they love the pleasures of Egypt too. So today is day 14. You see, the devil is not the real issue. God says, you don't have to worry about the devil. Behold, I gave you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions and thereby shall no means harm you. The God of peace shall very soon trample whom? Satan under your feet. The devil is not the problem. Don't tell me the devil is your problem. He says, oh no, pastor, the world is the problem. He says, no, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So devil is not the problem. The world also is not the problem. That's what he's telling the children of Israel. Pharaoh is not the problem. Don't say Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh katam ho He's gone. His army is gone, Pharaoh is gone, all your captors have gone. So what's your problem? Oh, do you have food? Yeah. What do you eat? Manna. Do you like it? No. Is it good for you? Yes. Is anybody sick? No. Is anybody weak? No. Do you have water to drink? Yes. Do you like it? No. 
Why? Because we drank Pepsi in Egypt. So do you have liberty? Yes. Do you like liberty? No. Why? Because we are used to freedom in Egypt. The freedom to do what our flesh like doing. So the problem is neither the world nor the devil. Jesus has overcome them both. The problem is the power of the flesh. The flesh is like the grave clothes hanging on Lazarus' body. 6,000 years ago, when man sinned and flesh came alive, God had proclaimed a death sentence to the flesh. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. What did he tell about us? What are you? You are dust, and you will go back to dust. Judgment was set on the flesh. He also made another proclamation in the garden. That is in Genesis 3 and verse 14. So the Lord said to serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. What shall you eat? Now let me tell you, does snake actually eat dust? No. So what did God mean? Satan, your food shall be the flesh of the people. Unless they die to their flesh, you can have them. What is snake fodder in the Bible? Your flesh, my flesh. Where the flesh is dead, the devil has no power. That's why Jesus said, not the little python, or the small python, or the small cobra, the big one has come, the ruler of this world has come, and he found nothing in me. My flesh is dead. The flesh is the problem. The flesh won't depart from this earth. It doesn't want to. It is dust. It belongs to this world. It loves this world. It doesn't want to depart from this world. Noah's ark can be complete. All the animals can get in. But still flesh won't get in. The ark can remain open for seven days after everybody has got it. Genesis 7 verse 10. And it came to pass after how many? Seven days. After seven days only the floods came. Not one single flesh got in except for eight ones who were dead to the flesh. Flesh won't get in. It doesn't matter what God offers. Satan and flesh are made for each other. Flesh is Satan's fodder. Seven days. Seven days. Why did God leave the ark door open for seven days? To show us flesh won't escape. Flesh won't leave this earth. Even if you tell them judgment is coming, judgment is coming, give them perfect liberty, everything still no. Flesh wants to stay here. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Verse 
20, Revelation 20, verses 7 to 9. When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose numbers is like the sand of the sea. And they went upon upon the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Which day is that? End of the seventh day. Sixth, seventh day when Christ rules and gives everybody what? Perfect liberty. Perfect liberty. No crime, no violence, no hunger, no thirst, nothing. Absolute perfect liberty. The righteousness of God will flow on this earth. There is no demons. There is no devil. Everybody has been locked up. Only man and the saints in their glorified body and man in the flesh. But those thousand years, men and women will not enjoy that liberty because their flesh is craving. But flesh cannot be manifested because the saints are ruling with a scepter of iron. Yet there is perfect liberty. So at the end of the thousand years when Satan is released, all flesh will gather with him and go against Jesus. Now you know why he left the door of the ark open for seven days? To teach us a lesson that this flesh can never be redeemed. It will never be redeemed. That's the battle you and I face. So don't ever think that if my situation improved in my office or my home or my surroundings, I would worship more. No, it's got nothing to do with that. It has got nothing to do with any of those things. It has got to do with our flesh. This is our battle. And the battle is with truth. Galatians 5.17 Galatians 5 and verse For the flesh lusts battles against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another. They are contrary. Contrary. There's one of the speeches by uh, Tred Gaudi. I mean, you should listen to it. He speaks at the commencement of the Liberty University. Yesterday, President Trump spoke at the Liberty University for their annual uh, 2017 class. People may say all kind of things, but it's the first time in the history of U.S. a president has spoken in a Christian university first. And he spoke last night. Commencement. But Tred Gowdy is one of the senators and he's a, incredible. You have to listen to him. Very righteous man. Very righteous. He was once a federal prosecutor and I hope he becomes the next FBI. That's my dream that he becomes the next FBI chief because he's good. You have to listen to him. Where he speaks, he says, I ask people, do you want freedom or do you want truth? And he says, everyone usually chooses freedom over truth. Without realizing, without truth, you will never have real freedom. Very interesting statement. If each one is called, given an option, you can choose truth or you can choose freedom. We will automatically think I want freedom. But you don't realize real freedom comes only when you have tackled truth. That's what Jesus says. When the Spirit comes, He will lead you to truth. 
all truth. And that truth will set you free, which is liberty. But we want a freedom without truth. That is not liberty, that is bondage. So therefore the flesh is fighting the spirit and the spirit is fighting the flesh. What is the battle over? The battle is over truth. Battle is over truth. How does this battle happen? In John 16 and verse 13, scripture says, How when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into what? If you allow him, he will guide us to the entire truth about ourselves. We don't need to have very esoteric knowledge like Paul and go three times. You don't need. For victory, we need to know who I am. Even if you fail in physics and maths and all, no problem in heaven. But if you fail in self-control, it doesn't matter what other things you pass in. If you allow the flesh to have control, you are already a failure in the kingdom of God. Understand that. The flesh hates truth. In Romans 3, 21 to 23, now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First statement truth, when the gospel is preached, the first statement that is made is, all have sinned. All can be saved. One way only, God's way. You have to receive the righteousness of God in Christ by faith. There itself, half of humanity will fall. This is, we don't want to go that way. The first block is here. People will not receive this. First, they will say, who told you I am a sinner? Who told you I am a sinner? I am not a sinner. According to my religion, I am good. There itself, half will fall. To those who accept they are a sinner will say, okay, I am a sinner, but why should I believe what you say? I am working out my salvation, my way. I go to Banaras twice a year. I go to Tirupati. I go to Mecca. I do these five things. Don't tell me. Okay, I am a sinner. That's why I am doing all these things and this is enough. Another half is gone. Do you see? The first block, the flesh fights truth. Flesh fights truth. But without truth, can we be saved? James 1.18 says, In his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Our salvation itself is by the word of truth. We are born again by the word of truth. To Nicodemus, Jesus makes it very clear. In John 3 and verse 6, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. No amount of religion will make flesh spirit. It won't. Flesh is still flesh. Maybe progressive flesh. A little trained flesh. A little educated flesh. But still flesh. And what does Jesus, Paul, God speak through Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 15? Now I say this brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Possible. Flesh and blood will not 
cannot inherit. It's not will not, it is cannot. If God says will not, then he is blocking. When he says cannot, it means it is not possible. Impossible. Cannot. Are you getting the picture? So after 40 days of fasting, the devil will show and offer Jesus all the glory of the world. And it made no impact on him because his flesh was dead. After 14 days of fasting, how do you see yourself? How much of flesh is dead? That's why fasting is good. It tells us how awake we are in the flesh, how dead we are in the flesh. Lot of things happen during fasting. It doesn't matter. Your flesh will reveal, even under the law it will reveal. 40 days of fasting. And he got the law. He came down and he saw what is happening and he lost it. What did he do? He took those commandments. Kachak! Not only that, he ground it. Poured it. We all drink. Did God tell him any of those things? What, drinking that brought healing into the lives or what? Then we should all put our Bibles in the mixie and drink it daily. He lost it after 40 days of fasting. His flesh is coming out. There is no improvement exam for the flesh. It was when they were led into the wilderness and fed on a simple diet of manna and fresh pure water that the flesh of Israel was revealed. When the simplicity of the gospel is preached, repent of your sin because the kingdom of God is coming, which means judgment is coming. Repent of your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. People will say, why should I? On the other hand, if somebody were to come and say, go to this place three times a year and give this much two times a year, light four candles daily, everybody is happy. Hallelujah. That's what I was waiting for because salvation is in my hand now. Why? Because the flesh wants freedom, not liberty. Doesn't want liberty. It wants freedom. So remember, the devil has, like we saw last week, right? Devil has millions and millions of demons on service. No shortage. We saw one man, how many demons? 600. Right? 600 demons. Oh no, sorry. 6,000. A legion can be anywhere up to 6,000 soldiers. One man. 6,000. So no shortage of demons. And they operate the most powerful scanning machines. We all feel good. Look, I look in the mirror. I look so good. I'm so fine. And then when you go to the doctor and come through the machine, the doctor says, you got something here. You got something here. You got something. It didn't show in the mirror. But the scan showed it all. The devil has millions at disposal. And the best scanning machines ever invented. They know whether you are playing or praying. They know whether you are setting fire to the cornfields of the spiritual Philistines 
or whether you are warming just the chairs in the church. They know whether you have quiet time or loud time with your wife. One of these two, either you have quiet time with God or you have loud times with your wife. They know it all. Here everybody is holy, looks holy, dressed holy. There is nothing the demons do not know. Even if by chance one demon get distracted, there are 400 others still watching you. Nothing escapes them. You getting the picture? They know our flesh very well. And flesh can completely paralyze the life of anyone. If you submit any part of your flesh to the devil. If you submit your ears to the devil, he will happily take it. You will happily take it if you submit your ears. That's why some people do not know wherever they go, gossip follows them. I'm not mentioning names. In my little town, there was this sister, dead and gone. She had a very bad experience in her life. She never, till her death, she never got married. So she was stuck in the house. She never went out. She never saw the town. She stayed in the house of her sister. She lived all her life over there. But she was better than the local reporter. She knew everything that was happening in the town. Incredible how she gathered news. Do you have ears like that? If you submit your ear to the devil, he will make good use of it. If you submit your eyes to the devil, he will grab them with both hands. That's why so many are bound by their eyes. When you are bound by your eyes, because you are also spiritual, you have to keep on justifying it as a weakness. But the problem is with the eyes. Do you remember our uncle Samson? His eyes were bound. So wherever he went, he only saw Philistine girls. There were Israelite girls all around and father and mother said, but only sees Gentiles. Why? Because the devil is a Gentile. And he had given his eyes to the devil. The Oramba Judges 16 and verse 28. And Samson called to the Lord saying, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Listen very carefully. Very careful. Samson's last prayer request. His eyes are gone. He's been taken in chains. He's standing there grinding grain in the Philistines mill. And this is my take on it. He can hear all the giggles of the Philistine girls and he cannot see them. He cannot see them. What is his cry? I want to take vengeance on the Philistines who took my two eyes. So God gives his strength back but never restores his sight. Did his strength come back? 
If his anointing come back, did his sight come back? He didn't come back. Why? Because it's an absolutely carnal, fleshly request. There's nothing spiritual in it. That's why he will die with his enemies. Understand, even after you have lived in the prison of the Philistines and you have been tormented and tortured, the flesh is still strong. It is still strong. So if you give him his eyes, he will take your eyes. If you give him our lips, he will use our lips. You can call it gossip. That's what God will call it. But he will call it discernment. Because you are also spiritual. If you give your lips, you know many, many, many of the singers, the western ones, the big names. Do you see them on the world stage? Do you know many of them learned singing in their church choirs? Where do they sing now? How do they sing now? What do they sing now? Why? Because at some point, they handed this over to the devil. That's why you have to be careful. Our enemy, our major enemy is not the devil or this world. It is our flesh. In Galatians 5.24, scripture says, And those who are Christ, those who are Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are Christ. We say Christ is mine. That's not what scripture is saying. This is where Christ says you are mine. Those who are Christ. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. It is not easy. Those who have been fasting now for 14 days, no, it is not easy. You thought fasting would kill your flesh. Actually, you suddenly realize it is showing you areas in your life which we never knew earlier. When you are trying to concentrate on the word, the mind is spinning like a wheel. Right? Those who are used to shopping, shopping, shopping till they die. Now you are fasting and not going out. Your hand is automatically going to online shopping. Before you know you have bought something. And then when you are sitting to pray, the phone is ringing. Who is that? You know that fellow who comes like a pregnant elephant with this huge bag behind him. Amazon delivery, smart by delivery, whatever, no? He is at the door. What are you doing? Oh, I am going through my fasting and prayer. What is this fellow doing at your door? The devil says, I know you. You don't have to go to the mall. The mall will come to you. It will come to you. When you are praying, your stomach is rumbling. The list goes on. Have you seen? That's why scripture says, those who are Christ. Daily. In Philippians 3, 3, scripture says, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Absolutely no confidence in the flesh. Do you have confidence in the flesh? There should be absolutely no confidence in the flesh for the flesh is dangerous and has no mercy. The flesh is harder to deal than the devil. Why? Because you can bind the devil, but you can't bind the flesh. 
I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. The flesh laughs at you and says, with what will you bind me? You binding me, he will say, I have bound you. You can bind and cast a demon, but you cannot bind your flesh. Even if it looks it's bound today, tomorrow it will be unbound. That's why there is only one way for the flesh. That is why it is the cross. There is no other way. The flesh cannot be trained. The flesh cannot be imprisoned. The flesh cannot be improved. The flesh can only be crucified. So the question is, how do we do this? How do you and I deal with this terrible enemy within us? First thing scripture says, Romans 13 and verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We will come to this later. Make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Are you getting it? We make provision for the flesh. If you are fasting and you are alone and you are fasting and you know yourself, keep your fridge empty. What do you do? Keep your fridge not full. Make no provision for the flesh. One of the things I haven't done for years together is that I don't buy a newspaper. Is there anything wrong with newspapers? No. But I know if I get a newspaper, I will read from the top the Hindu written over there till the last line on the newspaper. Cover to cover. Except astrology. The problem is, it will take a few hours. I know my flesh very well. Even a newspaper, I won't leave alone. So what do you do? Avoid. 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 Don't make provision. You need to know. Know the world in us. Do you remember Abraham and company making a trip to Egypt in the beginning of his faith life? We don't know the company's name. We know the name of only three people who went to Egypt in that company. One is Abraham, the other is Sarah, and the third is Lot. Three people of that whole company. They went in, they came out. The Bible actually talks about only one man of that three going to the altar and dying to his flesh after being in Egypt. We know about Lot. Genesis 13 verses 10 and 11 says, And when he's given a choice, Lord lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So when he had to make a choice, when he had to make a choice, he made a choice according to the world. When you make choices, how do you make your choices? When you have to buy something. You are making a choice. Here is making a choice. How did he make his choice? He did not make a choice according to Canaan. He made a choice according to Egypt. And that choice will take him down. When judgment comes, it is where this is the turning point in Lord's life. From here he will only go down and down and down and down. At this point it never looked where he would end. At this point when we make these choices, it never shows where we will end. Unless we know the word of God very careful. Little, little, little choices. 
Three people mentioned who went to Egypt among that crowd. Three people. You look at it. Look at the second one. What is her name? Sarah. Abraham came to the altar. Look at Sarah. Okay. She has to make a choice now. She is now in the promised land for how many years? Ten years. Genesis 16 verses 1 to 3. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Remember now ten years in the promised land. She had a? She had many maidservants. But she had a? Egyptian maidservant. Whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. Twice it is mentioned. Why? Why did she pick Hagar? She had many servants from many Canaanites or whatever, whatever, whatever. We don't know about them. She had many maid servants and plenty. Why did she pick the Egyptian? I'll tell you my perception about why she picked. I believe Hagar was extremely good looking in the fleshly way. And she said, if he has a son through my husband, he will be a very good looking fellow. It's absolutely fleshly decision. That's why she picked that one. Isn't that how we look for? Matches fair complexion. Five-figure salary. Want, you know, our Christian, I'm not talking about, others leave it alone. We have got nothing to do with the world. Christian, looking for born again believer but fair complexion. What has this got to do with this? What has this got to do with this? So what was he born again as? Two people, when they had to make their choices, they made choices according to the world because the flesh in them manifested. The flesh manifests. When we make our decisions, our choices... How do we make our choices? Paul says in Philippians 3 verses 18 to 19, this is what he says. For many walk of whom I have told often and I am tell you weeping that they are enemies of what? Cross of Christ. They are enemies of what? They are enemies of the cross. Why? How does it matter? Because without the cross your flesh will not die. If you are an enemy of the cross, that means you may be born again. But... Every decision is fleshly. Every decision is fleshly. Or most decisions are. So what is the end whose end is destruction? Though you may be coming to church or regular to church, which is a habit, their God is their appetite. They have not put to death through the cross the desires and the lusts of the flesh. Their God is their flesh. Their glory is their shame. Shame only in spiritual eyes. Shame only in what eyes? Not in carnal eyes. Carnal eyes will they will say, Boy, you look good. Are you ready to get this outfit from I also want to buy one? But spiritual eyes, you are shameful. Shameful. God had to walk past me, he would walk. With his head down. See, that's my child, but I cannot look at her. That's my son, but I cannot look at her. Because you're glorying in your shame. Which may be up to the mark. The latest in the market. The glory in their shame. 
who set their minds on earthly, so dust unto dust. Earthly things. Do we see what scripture is talking about? Are we driven by stomach? Have you ever thought if I keep on going on this track, it will destroy me? Did Lot ever think when he made that decision, he must have thought this Buddha, he doesn't even know what he's asking me. He doesn't realize, he thinks I'm a fool. He doesn't realize I'm smart. He's telling me take first choice. What does he think I am? I'm going to take first choice and I'm going to take the best choice. He had no idea his choice, where it would end one day. Do we realize? This 40 days, make no provision. Do a spring cleaning. Allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to help you. Understand this. If we are sincere, God is there to help us. You don't have ever have to clean your life alone. Because we don't know ourselves what to clean. But God is there to help us. He says that very clearly in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. For indeed he does not give aid to not a single fallen angel gets one iota of help from God. Nothing. Your end has been determined, the lake of fire. But to us, he says, he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. All who are born of faith is the seed of Abraham. He is there to help us. How? Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make preparation for the sins of the people. And verse 18, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. He understands what temptation is. He understands the power of temptation. So when you are being tempted in the flesh, he is there to help us. You don't have to do anything on your own. Nothing is there to help us. So first thing God tells is, make no provision for the flesh. Do a good spring cleaning if you are serious about it. Don't take these things lightly. The Bible and the history is full of people who were ultimately determined by their choices. And sometimes once you have made these choices like Lot and have walked in this choice for a long time, it doesn't matter how hard lessons God gives you, your flesh is so strong, you're unable to change. He's taken captive. When Sodom is attacked, he's taken by captive. His family is taken by captive. They're probably all taken in chains. And then Abraham, because he's the man of faith, fights those kings, wins over those kings. God gives him an incredible victory. And then he should have seen his uncle, seen that it is his faith that brought his his victory. Another man's faith brings faith, victory to this man. And then when this offer is given, Sodom's king, Bera, comes and tells Abraham, you take all the loot, all the wealth, just give me the, the, the people Abraham says, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I lifted my hand to God. I don't want anything. I did not fight this for money. I fought this because my nephew was there. And I'm leaving. Bye-bye. At that point, he should have said, Uncle, can I come with you? Did he say? No, he went back to Sodom. Where did he go? Went back to Sodom. Didn't he get a good lesson? Yes. Ultimately, on the day of judgment, the angels had to 
drag him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because his flesh was so strong. And he lost his wife in the bargain. So understand this. Our flesh, if it doesn't get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, if you don't do it deliberately, weaken our flesh as we grow older. Don't ever think. Don't ever think. I'm telling you children, my daughter is sitting over, I'm telling you children, if you don't overcome your fascination with clothes when you are 80 years old, you may not be able to wear any of these things, but you will still go shopping for 90s. You may have 80 90s of 80 different colors. Because you are still stuck in the flesh. I've seen old people like that. My grandmother at the age of 95, she had to step out, had to put powder, look in the mirror and hold an umbrella and go like this. 95. And I said, Kama, why are you putting this powder? Meaning, just keep quiet, little fellow. People will look at me. 95. You think these things grow? As I grow older, it will fall apart. God says, no, your skin will fall apart. Your teeth will fall apart. Flesh won't fall apart. It will grow stronger only. And then, there is no victory. It's over. Not that you you go to hell. No, you are saved. You will go to heaven. Just coming through the flames. As it goes through the flames, your nighty also will be burned. First thing. Make no provision for the flesh. Second thing, 1 Corinthians 9.27 I discipline my body and bring it to subjection. This body is like this vessel. In this body is both the flesh and the spirit. The flesh wants the body to indulge in the flesh. The spirit wants the body to serve God. Body and the flesh are not the same. That's why scripture says, offer your bodies as a living. God wants his body to be an instrument of righteousness. The devil wants his body so the flesh can be manifested as an instrument of unrighteousness. God says, bring your body under subjection. Who will he listen to? Will he listen to the flesh or will he listen to the spirit? Because both the devil and God needs the body. Both are contending for the body. So Paul says, I discipline and bring my body to subjection. Can you discipline your body? That's what fasting means. Fasting means disciplining your body. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. That you cannot serve both the flesh and the spirit. Many people try it, but Jesus said you cannot. You cannot travel on two roads at the same time. Can you? You cannot travel in the way of sin and the way of holiness at the same time. If you are traveling in the way of sin and still repenting, you are where you are. You haven't moved any further in your holiness. You sin today, you repent. You sin tomorrow, you repent. You sin on Wednesday, you repent. But where are you spiritually? Same place where you were six years ago. That is the children of Israel. Did you come out of Egypt? Yes. Did you enter the promised land? No. What are you doing? Moving. How are you moving? In circles. Because they are trying to travel in two roads at the same time. The way of flesh and the way of holiness. That's it. It's not possible. It won't make any progress. Any progress. 
It's not possible. So God says, which road are you traveling? God's final words in the book of Revelation, one of his final words is this in Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of prophecy of this book. Blessed is Last week also I told you, that's one of the reasons people don't read the book of Revelation because it scares them. Because every page you turn, you know he's searching, he's searching, he's searching. He's walking in the midst of the church. He's looking at each one. I'm telling you, this one I'm not pleased with it. This one I'm not pleased. I'm coming quickly. Put your act ready. This is what the end is going to be. So be careful, be careful, be careful. If we don't read the book of Revelation, he's coming quickly. Do you really live in the light of his coming? Do you know what he says next in verse 11? He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. He says after some time, it's like pushing a heavy vehicle down a slope. Starting it is difficult. Once it starts moving, it starts going. The problem is this. The one who is filthy, if he continues to walk in filth, he'll continue to go. After some time, he'll be comfortable in his filth. He who's righteous, let him be righteous too. One thing I have repeated here over and over again, none of us can live without truth. None of us can live without truth. So if we do not live by the truth shown by the Holy Spirit, we will make our own truths. I've heard people, in those so many years I've heard people, hello brother, why don't you fellowship with anybody? No brother, I am sanctifying myself. They have fought with people. They won't talk to anybody, but they have made us truth of their themselves to justify their behavior by saying that what? I'm not fellowshipping now because I'm spending time with God and sanctifying myself. It's your truth because you cannot live without it. You have to see the things people come up with. Why? Because that's the way God has made. Once he breathed the spirit into us, into Adam, you need truth. You cannot live. Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? Lord, I disobeyed you that. No. Because I was afraid, I was ashamed. So everybody who is ashamed and afraid has to hide. That's his logic. Did you eat of the fruit? Yes or no is the answer. But no, the woman you gave me. Did you eat? Woman, what have you done? Oh, this happened. Everybody needs truth, but it becomes your own truth. That truth doesn't set anybody free. People go into bondage because they are not able to deal with truth. That's what God is saying. Learn to bring your body under subjection. Learn to bring the body under subjection. Learn to control. The Spirit of God is here to help us. This is not condemnation. The Spirit of God is here to help us. And He's more than willing to help us. The Son of God is there making intercession for the saints all the time. Both are there to help us. The question is, 
You cannot do it on your own. You cannot use the flesh to control the flesh. That is what Indian ascetics and sages tried doing. Using the flesh to control the flesh. You go up in the Himalayas and sit there like this for two years. You come back, you think the flesh is dead. One shakuntala, what is her name? One, this thing comes and dances. One menaka dances. Finished. Sage's flesh is gone. Boom, gone. How quickly the flesh. These are supposed to be holy, pious, gentle people. Nothing. These things and all doesn't tame the flesh. It's good to read our stories, our epigos. It teaches us the fallacy of using the flesh to tame the flesh. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. It's not bad. I read all this before I ever touched the Bible. There's another guy, what is his name? Durvasa? Another sage? Yeah, he comes and he expects, as soon as he comes, he expects, like some of our modern day pastors, whenever you go, they expect you to be served first. The poor girl is thinking about her boyfriend. And she doesn't see him. So immediately he curses her. Whoever you are thinking of, let him forget you. What kind of a sage is this? Yet he is called a sage. But no control over his flesh. You cannot use the flesh to control the flesh. You cannot. It's the spirit who does it. The spirit of God. That is why nobody under the law or before the law could ever control the flesh. It is not possible. The Holy Spirit is given for that. But scripture says, we have the spirit of God who helps us. In Romans 8 and verse 26, scripture says, likewise the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses and he is there to help us in our weaknesses. This is not a struggle for perfection in our strength of the flesh. No, it's a constant daily dependency on the spirit of God. Not only that, Hebrews 7.25, what I just told you, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We have to come to God through him. Doesn't matter how many times a day. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I live for this purpose now, to make intercession for you. The Spirit is there to help us in our weaknesses. The Son of God is there forever making intercession. And God says, you can overcome if you will come to me. Third thing. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 to 24. That you, not God, you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you, you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There's something God says. What do you have to do? You have to put off and you have to put on. This is spiritual, not physical. You cannot put two coats at the same time. You cannot put the coat of the new man over the coat of the old man. Don't try it. It won't work. God says you have to put off and put on. Until people actually start saying, you know what? She has changed. She has changed. 
Because Christianity is not a joke. It's a change from within. Which God works inside to outside. Outside also matters. People don't understand this in the 21st century. Earlier centuries everybody understood. Outside matters. I have two testimonies. You have two testimonies. One is before God. The other is before man. God looks at the inside. Man looks at the outside. Both matters. When you put off and you put on. It is not that we were all born saints. We were born sinners. Who are being made into saints. But we are being made into saints. We are not being made into anything else. We are being made into saints. So there is this putting off and putting on. What do we put off? Ephesians 4.25 Put off. What? Lying. Put off? No, it was just an excuse. No, it was a lie. Put off? Lying. Put off? Put off wrath. Put off wrath. Verse 29. Put off? Corrupt communication. Put off. That's how you know. That's how you know. When I got saved, I know this is what God did in my life. When I got saved, I didn't tell anybody I had got saved, but all my friends knew I got saved because they looked at me and said, what's wrong with you? You don't use the words because I use every second word that came out of my my mouth was either filthy or obscene. That's how I spoke Malayalam. And they said, what's happened to you? I said, I said, what happened to me? said, your language has changed. Those words are there no more. And I did not realize those words were not there anymore. It had gone. It's just gone. Just gone. Taken out. But if you had seen me before October 1984, you wouldn't have believed. Boy, people used to get away from me. Some little righteous man or girl would stay away from me because this guy speaks such filth, obscenity. Put off. That's why people say, when we are very spiritual, we speak in tongues. When we get angry, we speak in mother tongue. That was Peter. Oh, I will come with you and I will die with you. Very spiritual. Then when the girl said, I and you want to, he started speaking in his mother tongue. And started cursing. The fisherman's language came out. For three and a half years, he was an apostle. Doing miracles and preaching the kingdom. At the end of it, he became reverted back to being a fisherman. God says, put off. Put off corrupt communication. Be careful. Put off corrupt communication. No obscenity. No four-letter words. Be very careful the words you use. Verse 31. Put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, put away from you with all malice. Malice. This is, this is hidden. This is hidden. This is all, this is all often like Naomi. When you speak, you know she's bitter. When somebody is angry, you know. But malice? Very subtle. Is there anybody from the household of Saul to whom I can show mercy for the sake of his son Jonathan? Yes, there is. Who is it? Mephisobeth, but he's lame. 
What is? Is there any good girl in your vicinity whom I can propose my son? He's an engineer. Yeah, there are. What have I heard about this girl? Yeah, yeah she's a good girl. Uh, but a brother married a Hindu. That's how malice comes out. How does that matter? Is she saved? Is a question that is asked. No, but you don't like it. A brother ran away with a boy. Was that a question that was asked? No. Because malice is hidden. Hidden. That's why God says, that's all the nature of the old man. Put away. Put away. Put away malice. Malice. This is how it is shown. How it is shown. Put away all these things and put on. Words 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. Let him labor. Working with his hands what is good. Very clear. God's scripture is very clear. He says don't don't be a kamchor. You understand Hindi well. Huh? Don't be a kamchor. Many people have jobs but they are kamchors at the job place, workplace. He says don't steal from your employer. Don't steal from your employer. Let him labor. Oh, you have to read the gospels to see how Jesus labored for no profit. How he labored. How he worked. Labored. Working with his hands. What is? Good. I have a job. Where do you work? At the bar. No, that is not good. You are selling to destroy somebody else's life. Get another job. Get another job. What do you do? No, I am with this event management group. What do you do? I throw pan like this in flames and put it in the mouth of people. Get another job. Get another job. And don't call yourself event manager. We know what you do. Get another job. What is good? And why do you work? Oh, because I have to eat. No, 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 no. Provision comes from the God, from the Lord. Don't worry about that. Why do you work? Because he may have something to give him who has need. That's the reason. You can do the same thing with a completely different perspective so that God keeps on blessing you because you remember the Abrahamic promise once you are born again. I am blessed to be a blessing. That's the reason we work. We have a father in heaven. And as the Sunday school children sing, in my father's house, there are many rooms. He has a big table full of yummy things to eat. You don't have to work for all this if he's your father. But we work because we are called to be a blessing to others. Change perspective. Suddenly all whole lot of things will start becoming clear. That's what my life is. That's what labor is about. That's what work is about. And suddenly God says, he got it. Now I can bless you. I can bless you. And I can bless you as much as you want. Why? Because you have understood what is the purpose of work. Does Jesus have to work? Does God have to work? No. But what does scripture say? Jesus said, my father has been at work from the beginning till now. And I and the father are still working. Why? Because we want to be a blessing. We want to be a blessing. Understand scripture. Read scripture closely. This is how... We put on the full armor of God. 
It is not by reading Ephesians 16 in the morning. I put on the belt of truth and then go to work. Nothing will happen. The enemy will smack you on the way. You do these things. The enemy says he is covered. This is all spiritual. He is covered. Verse 29. Put on. And be kind to one another. Yeah. Let nothing come out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to their hearts. God is not saying, okay, let nothing corrupt come. Okay. I open my mouth, only dirty things come out, so I'm going to walk like this now. God says, that's not what I mean. You need to speak. But ask the spirit of to put grace in your mouth. Grace in your mouth. That what you speak is good for necessary edification. To lift somebody, to build somebody up. That it may impart grace to the hearers. And verse 32. And be kind to one another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Do you see? Put off, put on. So you know whether you are putting off the old man. Put on the old man each day. Put a checklist. It's all there in scripture. And that's how you put on the armor. Then fourth one. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members. KJV will use a term called mortify. The KJV are one of the versions. Put to death. Mortify means put to death. Put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry. Put to death. Not whitewash. Put to death. You know who a mortician is? Mortician is the fellow who prepares a dead body. You know, he's the fellow, in, I mean, in the funeral home, he's the one who gets the dead body ready. He's called a mortician. The word actually used here is mortify, therefore, the members of your body. I'm telling you a simple thing. Today, or maybe tomorrow morning, when you get ready for work, when you look into the mirror, See a dead body. Then you won't spend too much time before the mirror. What do you see? A dead body. What is this? A dead body with a living spirit inside. Put to death the members of your body each day. Because there are people who worry about a pimple which has come on the nose more than having missing their prayer line. Ayo! What will I do? Hello? Why? What do you do for pimples? I'm telling you, I was once a classroom teacher many, many years ago. And during this two-day break, I used to come down to India. And my students would say, sir, are you going to India? I said, yeah. Sir, when you come to, will you get me this? I said, what is that for? No, it's for pimples. Everybody, nobody's worried whether you're passing in the exam or for this. Everybody's worried about pimples. What does scripture call you and me? Dead body. Put to death. Put to death. The members of your body. These members are the one that indulge in sexual immorality, 
in uncleanness, in inordinate affection, evil, this is a very difficult word, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is what? Idolatry. Covetousness is what? Mother went to the hospital yesterday and she's having a good time with all the doctors, all her believers, they all gather around her and she's having a gala time with them. So one of the main surgeons who did a surgery, he had to take her stitches, he brought her, he personally came, took her to the nurse, the nurses, and he's he telling her, Amachi, you tell this girl. So Amachi is looking at her and she's got all this stuff. And Amachi looks at her and tells her, you don't need any of this thing, God has made you beautiful the way you are. See? You have to hear it. And the doctor went back inside. Our problem is when we look into the mirror, we don't like what God made. And we believe we need to improve on God's handiwork. That is why one of the biggest industries in the world is connected with making us up. Makeup, it's called making us up. Boys, girls, all the same. No difference now. Because we are not happy the way God made us. We covet to be somebody else. So how do I do this, Lord? Mortify, how do I do this? Answer is in verse 1. And 2. If you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above. How do you know you are raised up with Christ? See, these are all theory, but how do you know? See, check your heart, what are the things you are seeking? What are the things that you daily seek in your life? Scripture says, if you believe you are raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Not on things that are on earth. Everything, perspective changes. Meaning you could be doing the same things which you are doing now, but perspective changes. Perspective changes, therefore there is a paradigm shift in everything. How do you work? Scripture says, do as unto the Lord. How do you work? With your whole heart, cheerfully unto the Lord. So suddenly perspective have says, because though you are on earth and working in your company, you are seeking things that are above. Body for the Lord, the Lord for the body. Meat for the stomach, stomach for the meat, both shall be destroyed. Then suddenly perspective change. What do I eat? I eat what glorifies him through this body. Because he needs my body. Are you still eating? Yes. But has perspective changed? Yes. It has changed. Why? Because you are seeking those things which are above. What do you wear? What do you wear? I tell this openly. Very clearly, openly I tell. I have no issues with that because I understand teenagers. I understand these struggles. But I don't have to change according to that. Imagine, we are aspiring to be the bride of Jesus Christ. Just ask yourself, men or women, will you be happy to walk with us? And do the things we do? Go to the places where we go? 
That's why he's saying seeking those things which are above, not just above, where Christ is. Where exactly is he sitting at the right hand of God? Those are the things because there are many things above, including the devil. Many, many things above. That's not what we are seeking. Where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand side of the Father. That's how we change and say, Lord, Spirit of God, show me. Show me. When we don't have this and we pray, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it's not going to come. Because God says, you're not interested, you just want power. I'll give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so your eyes are open, so you see your bridegroom and then you start desiring. When I see the desire in your heart, putting off, putting on. Putting to death, things, the instruments of your body. How do you do that? By seeking the things that are above. Because we live an exchange life here. We have put down our old life and taken up another life, the life of Christ. This is how one pastor said, a day a madman begins to ask the question like, why am I wearing these clothes? What am I doing here? Why are you all staring at me? His deliverance has begun. The day a madman asks, why am I wearing these things? Why are you all staring at me? His deliverance has begun because his sanity has come back. But on the other hand, if he says, will you give me iron so that I can iron this shirt again and wear, he needs more deliverance. Spiritually, think. When we start asking these questions, spiritually, that's what James 4, 3 and 4 says. You ask and you do not receive because you ask absolutely amiss that you may spend it on your flesh. On your flesh. Adulterers and adulteresses. He says, he, he's, God is saying, your requests are connected with the world which I have going to destroy. Your desires are according to the flesh. And you want me to honor it. You want to honor it. God says it doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you don't take our spiritual battle, our walk seriously, we are just like Lazarus, out of the tomb, but bound in grave clothes. Bound in grave clothes. While the purpose of salvation, the goal of salvation is to make us whole. That is why it is written, he lives forever to make intercession for the saints. And First Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24 says, yeah, making intercession for them, Sorry, uh, 23. Not 24 and 25, 23 and 24. He's able to sanctify us, spirit, soul, and body. Sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be made blameless at his appearing. Whole thing. But there has to be a day. He is able to, he who calls you is faithful. Who will also do it. But then the other side is ours. Will you put on? Will you put off? Will you put on? Will you put off? That's the call of God in our lives. That is the purpose of salvation. That is the end of salvation. And the block to salvation is our flesh. Devil wants to give us freedom. God wants to give us liberty. Every law of God is to keep, bring true liberty into our lives. 
You ask anybody when they go abroad, is driving difficult there? And they will say, no. Are there more vehicles on the road? Yes. Driving is not difficult there. Why? Because there are rules and the rules are obeyed. So they have liberty. In India, especially Hyderabad, what do we have? Freedom. We don't have liberty to drive on the roads. I think I have my license for four years. I haven't driven on the road yet. Why? Because I don't, I don't like that freedom. The people cut like this and cut like this and rub against you and then fight and blood is spattering because somebody's one scratch came on their bike you're hitting. That's not liberty. That's freedom. That's freedom. God is asking us this question this morning. What do you want in life? Are you looking for liberty? God is there for us. Are you looking for freedom? The devil is there for us. Both are for us, but different people. The devil is for the old man. Christ is for the new man. Which one are we feeding? So this morning, I don't want to go into the other details, but if you look When God brought Israel out of Egypt, scripture records in Exodus 15, verses 23, 22 to 24. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out from the wilderness of Shur and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Very strange, right? Do we understand the ways of God? The way of salvation. What was told Pharaoh? Let my people go. Let them make a three day journey into the wilderness and offer a sacrifice to me. Three days later they reach a place there is no water. Not that there is no water. There is water. They cross the Red Sea. They reach a place. They came to Mara and they could not drink the waters of Mara for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Is life bitter? The way of salvation. Water is bitter. Suddenly life is bitter. Moses will cry out, Lord. Verse 24 says, they were crying out. The people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Not that there is nothing to drink. There is something to drink. But they said, we don't want to drink it because it's bitter. One thing I have learned is that every bitter vegetable is good for your body. Bad for the tongue. Good for the body. And they cried, what shall we drink? What did Moses do? Verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. God showed him a When we cry out, Lord, life is bitter. God points us to the tree. It's a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. What happened to the water? How can a tree make water sweet? 
can a tree make water sweet? But that's exactly what God does. In Colossians 1.20 says, By him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The tree. The cross. The one instrument we are asked to carry daily. Suddenly life becomes, the bitter things become sweet. Lord, my office is so bitter. God says, it points us to the tree. I told you to carry it with you daily. Tomorrow, Monday, when you go to office, spiritually carry your cross. Suddenly office is sweet. Lord, what happened here? He says, it is the work of the cross. It is the work of the cross. The water is the same. Bitterness has gone. Then suddenly God makes an incredible proclamation that place. As soon as the trees apply to the water and people drink the water, God makes a proclamation in verse 26. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. I have to read these passages carefully and say, where is this God saying this? He's saying this at the waters of Mara. He's saying this. He says, as you day walk daily with your cross and allow your flesh to die, he says, not only will water and life become sweet, but also the healing of God, the diseases that this world is plagued with, spiritual or otherwise, he says, they will not come upon you. Why? Because I am the God that healeth you. I did not bring you out to destroy you. I brought you out here to heal you of the maladies of this world. To heal you of Egypt. The diseases of Egypt. Many of the diseases are spiritual. And he says healing comes. That's why I brought you here. At Mara, he revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha. But that's not enough. Is that enough, Lord? I have experienced you as Jehovah Rapha. He says, no, I want to, I want to, you to experience me, experience even more. This is the purpose of salvation. Not only healing, but more than that. Verse 27. Then they came to Elam when there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. So they came there by the waters. Look at the journey of Israel. This is the journey of salvation. As soon as he made this proclamation, he brings them out of Mara. He brings them to Elam, where there are twelve wells. Twelve? He talks about God's completeness in Christ, his wholeness in Christ. Israel had twelve tribes. The Gospels had twelve apostles. New Jerusalem has twelve foundations. It has twelve gates. It has twelve angels watching over it. And in the city there is a river flowing. And there is a tree which bears... Twelve fruits for the healing of the nations. That is where God wants to bring us to the fullness of Christ. That's why he says, my plans are never bad. They're always good. 
But your flesh is your enemy. Every time I bring you to your place, you will say it is bitter because you don't have the cross. You apply the cross, it will become sweet. Then you go progress further. I am taking you further and further into the fullness of Christ. That's God's plan for everybody. To the fullness of Christ. He wants to bring that totality, the fullness of Christ, where we not only experience him as in verse 26, Jehovah Rapha, but also experience him as Jehovah Jireh. I am your provision. I am your provision. In Christ, that's what Ephesians says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing. Not only that, you are not only just blessed, and there were 70 palm trees. 70. Palm trees. Palm trees? Psalm 92 verses 12 and 14. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our Lord. They shall still bear fruit in an old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. He says, this is what I want to make your life. Even till your old age, you are and going to be a blessing to people. That's my call upon your life. Not just 12 wells. The 70 palm trees. 7 is the number of God's perfection. And 10 is the number of his fullness. 70 palm trees. You see the purpose of salvation? And the devil and the flesh is forever lying and deceiving us so that we do not walk in this liberty where we'll, people will turn around and ultimately say, you were a blessing in my life. What doesn't matter what people said about Paul then. What do people say about Paul now? And finally, everything is over and on the day of judgment, how many billions will have to stand and say, Lord Jesus, thank you. And then say, Paul, thank you for your life. After Christ, it is you. That you surrendered your life and you were a palm tree until your last hour, you were still bearing fruit. Because you understood the fullness of Christ and appropriated itself for yourself, and then we are blessed because of it. Isn't it true? If it is true for him, isn't it true for everyone? Whatever way God may choose to use us, and God says, this is what salvation is. That's why the book of Galatians, Paul will say, stand. In what? In the liberty God has brought you. Don't get fooled by the flesh. As I close, a couple of more verses, and then we close. That's what true liberty is. Second Corinthians three seven. Second Corinthians three seventeen. I think it's three seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What is there? Who is the Lord? Spirit. Wherever the Spirit of Lord is. There is, it doesn't matter. God says, do you get it? It doesn't matter which home you live in, which college you study, which office you work. Who is the Lord there in your life? You have liberty. You don't have freedom. You have liberty. In Potiphar's palace, Joseph was a slave. But he had 
liberty. Potiphar's wife offered him freedom. He chose liberty. He went into the prison, a dungeon. He had liberty. Everywhere he had liberty. Where the spirit is Lord, there is liberty. So God says, stand. Galatians 5.13 will say, for you brethren have been called to liberty. Have been called to what? Liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Be careful. Been called to liberty. But do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But use the liberty to serve one another. Don't use the liberty. Peter will have the same thing to stay and then we will close. First Peter chapter 2, 15 and 16. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free Yet not using liberty as a clock for wise sin, but as bond servants of God. Don't use liberty as a clock. Don't use liberty as to excuse your sins. He says no. But be bond servants of righteousness of God. That was the proclamation Moses made before God, before Pharaoh. Let my people go. That they might worship God. And they might serve God. That is true liberty. That is true liberty. That is the end of salvation. They shall be kings and priests forever. They shall worship me. They shall serve me all of eternity. That is the end of salvation. So this morning decide. Which do you choose? Freedom or liberty? Shall we pray? Shall we stand up? Shall we pray? Pastor Vijay, could you come and pray for the church and pray over me as a church and let me go. Pray and send me. Father, we just thank you, Lord, Father, for your faithfulness in our lives. What an awesome God. Yes, Lord, we shall know the truth. And the truth shall set us free. And Lord, you have given us your truth this morning. And Father, I pray, Lord, that each one of us will begin to love the truth. As your servant has warned us, Lord, here this morning through your servant and even through your apostle Paul, that we will not be those people who hate truth. But Lord, we will love the truth about ourselves so that we can enjoy that liberty, O oh Lord. That freedom to do the will of God. That it will not be a set of rules, but it will be a delight. And we will delight to do your will and enjoy the liberty that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Father, for speaking to us this morning through your servant. And even as he goes this morning, Father, I pray as a church, Father, we bless him in your name, O Lord. Father, we send him from our midst with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and be commissioned. And Lord, it is you who has commissioned him, O Lord. You who has ordained him, O Lord. As a church, we acknowledge that 
commission over his life and we send him, O Lord. Anoint your servant, O Lord. Go ahead of him, straighten crooked paths for him. I pray, Father, for all the people who will be there, O Lord, Father, in those meetings. I pray, Father, O Father, that you would touch them, O Lord, and we believe for a mighty harvest of souls. And I pray, Father, that you, you would use your servant, O Lord, Father, for your glory. Give him the words, O Lord, Father, at every meeting, O Lord, Father, that he will be led by the Spirit of God and you would anoint him fresh every day, O Lord Jesus, through these Ten days, O Lord, Father. Grant them health. Grant them strength. O Father, by faith, we apply the blood of Jesus over his life, over his family, over his household. We cancel out every work of the wicked one, O Lord Jesus. We bind every principality and power of darkness that is trying to thwart the work, O Lord, Father, of of Jesus in this land that is being sent to, O Lord. We bind it in the name of Jesus, the principalities. We bind it in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray, Father, that the people will be set free to know your truth and there will be a mighty harvest of souls in that land, O Lord Jesus. Use your servant for your glory, O Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this privilege that you have given to this church, O Lord. That, Lord, that you have given us a gift to the body of Christ and we want, we want to share this gift to the rest with the, with the rest of the body, O Lord, all around the world. We thank you, Father. Be with him, O Lord. Be with the brethren who are going to accompany him, O Lord Jesus. Protect them, guard them, and shield them. Father, that, Lord, the sun will not smite him by day, nor the powers of darkness by night. The Lord will preserve him from all evil. He will preserve his soul. His going out and his coming in from this time forth and even forever. And be with the church here, O Lord Jesus, that Lord, we will all be united in the spirit, interceding and praying for one another, O Lord Jesus, until we come to the unity of the knowledge of Christ Jesus as one man, O Lord Father. Father, give that grace to our church, O Lord, that we'll be united in spirit, in truth and in love. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Even as we go into the rest of the week, be with us, O Lord, Father. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, your word will continue to burn in our hearts. And Father, will bear fruit in our lives. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' mighty name. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.